So before we jump into today's sermon, I'd like to give a bit of a commercial for what's coming up in November. And it was from feedback from you um, earlier in the year, we were asking for input on uh, things that you'd like us to be addressing as a congregation. And one of the things that came up was, was a topic that we're going to cover um, for a few weeks in November. And it recognizes a reality for each of you, that each of you have people in your life or a person in your life that, um, let's just say you don't get the warm fuzzies when you think of them. And they have done some things to you, and you are still bearing some of the frustration or the scars, the woundedness from that person. And it's around this issue of forgiveness. And we talk a lot about forgiveness in the church Sometimes I think we've simplified it to the point that it's become cliche. And we throw it around about just, just forgive. And we've forgotten about the complexity of humanity and the wonderful gift that God has given us in forgiveness. So through November, we're going to be looking at this idea of, of God's forgiveness for us, but then what that looks like in our life of being people who are a forgiving people or for being a forgiving person. So I just wanted to give you that commercial uh, for November. Uh, if that's something that interests you, we'll be running through three weeks on that. We are going to be inviting you to participate in some of the discussion around that um, because this is something that touches all of us. And so we've learned things about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And so we'll explore that through November. And um, today we want to wrap up the series about beginning again, looking at our strategic initiatives to help people find Jesus, follow Jesus, join the family and make a difference. We've just looked at them from a new angle of being Jesus-centered, other-oriented, communally discerning. And then today, um, this last area about embracing opportunity or making a difference. So I want to put a phrase up here on the screen for you. You reap what you sow. What do you think of when, uh, when that phrase comes to mind? So just for a minute, turn to the person beside you if you came with somebody and just share briefly. When you hear that phrase, what do you think of? You reap what you sow. Okay, go. Yeah, if you're here alone, um, talk to your inner self. Uh, <clears throat> okay. We will get back to a state where I can just have you get into groups. We're still being tentative about that because people are tentative and we want to maintain safety. But uh, at some point I'm going to say, okay, get in a group and talk a little bit about this. This is a phrase that many of us are familiar with. If you're not familiar about it, you will hear about it. And it actually comes out of the text in Galatians that we're going to look at today. And when you hear this phrase, I'm, I'm going to guess that you think about... Uh, probably somebody who's doing things that aren't very nice and you're thinking they are going to get what's coming to them. So we, we just tend to nav or gravitate towards kind of the negative and often this gets used for somebody who, uh, you know, we'll use the phrase karma. They're getting their karma. This kind of sort of awareness we have of Eastern mysticism and the concept of karma that we talked about a while ago when we did the Jesus and religion series, but um, there's, we're going to address this a little bit today. 
But everything about this expression, which are in the verses here, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 10, actually has to be tied back to this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in an area called Galatia, who were, like you and I, living everyday life, trying to figure out um, how to follow Jesus in the midst of a complicated world. And they were um, wrestling with being religious people or being people that are learning to, um, to live in the freedom that Christ gives. And so this letter is addressing that. And through chapter 5, Paul talks a lot about comparing the way that we are prone to live and the new invitation we have to live according to the law of Christ and the struggle that we have with that. And then he comes to this verse here that, um, that we're going to talk about embracing opportunity. And I want to just walk through these verses with you. So we're going to come back to this little guy. Um, so don't worry, you'll see him in a moment. But let's, um, let's just read. You can follow along as I read these for you from the screen. This is from Galatians uh, 6, verses 7 to 10. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. That's you'll reap what you sow in a different way of saying it. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now, here's a key verse. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the family of faith. Now, back to this, you reap what you sow. So you can take this in an individual way, and when you read through this in verses 7 and 8, Paul is using the first person singular, so he's addressing individuals, getting them to think about themselves. But then when you get to verses 9 and 10, it switches to the plural. Now he's talking about us and we. And the context of this letter is is not just the individual, which is the the challenge that we have is, is, I'm rolling up my sleeve, so you better get ready. Um, It's not just the individual, it's about, it's about the individual in the community, which is why we talk about being communally discerning. Following Jesus is about your relationship with him in the context of community. So we want to talk about this idea of embracing opportunity before us. And yet before Paul gets to that in verse 9, he's talking about not, not mocking the justice of God that you, you harvest what you plant, you reap what you sow. And, you know, there's so much to be said in this picture. And it's, it's giving an image of, of leaving that which is good, or what we might think is good, for something better. And maybe that's one way of understanding what Paul is writing in the letter to the Galatians, where he's saying to people, you are used to one way of living, And it has come out of something that is good that God's given you. It's been corrupted, but you're used to living this old life that you, that for all intents and purposes, we might call the religious life. It's a way of living that is that is driven by, by fear and often by obligation. So we have to be this way in order to maintain our lovableness or to maintain God's pleasure for us. And so we, we create systems 
and rituals that revolve around what we perceive to be the right way of living and what we maybe fail to realize is how much it falls short and how often it is excluding many for the few. And that's kind of some of my paraphrase about what Paul is saying in Galatians 5 of living the old sinful nature, which you're tempted to read about your own sinfulness, which is part of it, but it's more about the system of living, the whole system that encompasses the way they were living and the new system or the new way that we're invited to live in the spirit of Christ. And so Paul is saying, if you want to live in that old system, you're going to get what the old system gives you, which is ultimately disappointment, death, decay, deception, doubt. Or you can choose to live in the new system and reap what you sow from that. Harvest what you plant from that, which is life, which is hope, which is grace, as we were singing about already. And in verse 7, Paul's saying, you can't mock God, you can't fool yourself. So a few verses before this, the beginning of chapter 6, Paul says, don't fool yourself. And now he's saying, don't try to fool God. By trying to create the system that you think is somehow going to fool God into thinking you're more acceptable than you are. And I would suggest, and and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I think all of us live with the tension of of having a life that's driven by fear and obligation and guilt and shame, or or choosing a, a new life that is life in the spirit where we have to stop, we, we don't have to continue struggling, we can stop struggling and embrace what's already been done for us. See, I'm convinced that everybody is religious. Whether you believe in God or not, you are religious in the sense that you create systems that bring order and meaning and sense to life based on how you want it to be and perceive it to be. And often what that does is it, it drives you, it propels you to live a life of, of fear of breaking the system or stepping out of the bounds. And that system also inevitably excludes way more people than you think for the benefit of some. And what Paul is doing here is he's challenging these people to just let go of that old way of living and fully embrace the opportunity to live in the new way that Christ offers which is just the radical kind of grace that continues to rock our world and turn it upside down, and we wrestle with it continuously. And so he's just using verse 7 and 8 to kind of uh, move along these lines of participating in this old system and the tension that we have with that. And think about, think about the things that, that irk you and bother you, the way you think about the church and the way you think about the world If you've been part of the church, if you're on one side or the other, um, your temptation is to look at the other side, maybe in a negative way. If you're outside the church and you're looking in on the church, there's a lot of negativity. Just scroll through the news and you'll find some of that. If you're inside the church and you're looking outside to the world around, your temptation is to see everything out there as bad and terrible. And whether you want to admit it or not, there's the sense of struggling with feeling privileged and entitled because somehow we're better in the church. Or maybe that's never a struggle for you, and I'm way off the mark on that. I suspect it's maybe there more than you realize. 
Because there's this great guy in the early church, his name is Peter. Peter was a leader in the early church. Maybe you've read the story about Peter walking on water, about um, Peter maybe being the one that was in his zeal, cut off the people who were coming to arrest Jesus. He cut off the ear of one of them. Peter's this great larger-than-life personality. And when he was in this area, the Apostle Paul was there too. And what he saw Peter doing was um, this contrast of living the old way or living the new way. So Peter, who had experienced the freedom of Christ and saw the resurrection and experienced the filling of the Spirit of God, um, was with a a bunch of non-Jewish people, even though he was still a Jew. And he started behaving in a way that was excluding them. He wasn't eating with them. Because there were some Jews that still felt like, Jewish people shouldn't be associating with non-Jewish people. If you want to be part of the church, you need to become Jewish so that you can be part of the church. And so Peter was living in a way that was excluding some. He was living that old religious system that's driven by fear and obligation. And Paul gets in his face. I love it. In front of everybody, he just like, dude, what you are doing is so wrong. What you are doing is everything what Jesus came to free us from. And he challenged Peter to embrace this new opportunity of living in the spirit. The law of love, the law of Christ. And here's the thing. To enter into that new, uh, the new way of living, this new system. That Paul is, he's holding up the old system and the new system all through this letter. It's six chapters, it won't take you long to read it and you'll see it. Do you want to hold on to the new or do you want to embrace and or hold on to the old or do you want to embrace the new and the freedom that comes with that and realizing our propensity to revert back to what was? The nation of Israel is a great story of people who were freed and then in their freedom they didn't like it and they were complaining, if only we could go back to slavery where at least the food was better. And it's just something within us that wants to hold on to that old. And Paul's holding these two systems up. And when we, when we come to faith in Jesus, when we find Jesus, that new life in Christ leads us to being centered on him rather than ourselves. It leads us to being other-oriented instead of focusing within. It leads us to inclusion rather than exclusion. It leads us to be communally discerning and enjoying the diversity that comes with that. These are all part of this new life that Paul is describing. And then he gets to verse 9. I want to read this again for us. Let's not get tired. Maybe let's put it back up here so people can see it, Wayne, so we'll keep you awake. So let's go to verse 9 here, um, back one. Uh, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Now, let's stay there, Wayne. Go back, Wayne. Let's just stay here for a minute. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, so, um, so he's doing great. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He is recognizing the, um, the reality that for us to live this kind of life of living in the new system, 
of being Jesus-centered, other-oriented, communally discerning, that's draining. It is difficult. It is challenging. And he's just acknowledging the fact that people are finding it hard. Let's not get tired. He's saying don't get tired. He's recognizing that we do get tired. And here's an interesting thing. This word here, let's not get tired of doing what is good, that word can also be translated beautiful. So in some contexts, that word is used to describe something that is beautiful. Isn't that cool? Let's not get tired of participating in creating beauty. And I wonder if that changes a little bit how you feel about what we're being called to. That when, when as a community we learn to keep Jesus central above anything else, above our rituals, above our religious systems, above our structures, our policies, to keep Jesus central even, even before the Bible, which is meant to lead us to him. That is beautiful. When we are a community that is continually learning to be other-oriented, rather than just continually asking, you know, how are we going to get more of what we want, that is beautiful. When we learn to commune dis- or discern communally, rather than just deciding by ourselves, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. When we invite people into our lives who will disagree, who think differently, who come from different backgrounds, different languages, different ethnicities, different genders, different ages, different orientations. And we say, how is God going to speak through us rather than just me deciding what I want? or what I think is. That is creating something beautiful. Because that is rarely happening in this world. We are being invited to create beauty with God. In a culture that is desperately looking for things that are beautiful. We have been promoting this week, if you get the weekend email, um, if you don't get the weekend email, you go to our website, go down to the bottom, it says subscribe, subscribe. Then we get all of your, um, your contact information. We can pester you every day with calling you and emailing you and showing up at your door. I'm kidding. That's what people are afraid of. Um, we send out a, a, an email once a week with a lot of different information on it. But in that email this week, um, there's a little video on there from me um, highlighting two opportunities about learning about treaties in Canada and how the relationship between the government, the church, and First Nations people. There's a webinar coming up on Monday, November 1st. Um, there's that. And then there's the virtual tour that we've been trying for months to get this sorted out with the, the group that are doing it. We finally have a date in January for the virtual tour. Now, um, why I'm telling you that? Because these are some of the things that have been happening in our culture lately that we've been hearing about what the church has done in, through residential schools or through other things. The church's complicity with the government. And it's not pretty, it's not beautiful. 
a few, maybe a month ago, um, there was an article about um, the Catholic Church in France. And like since the 1950s, 200,000 children being abused uh, through priests in France. And you'll just read these things and your heart grieves and aches. And there's so many things that we've done in the name of Christ and the big C church of which we are a part of that we just need to repent of and seek forgiveness for. And the difficulty is, is that there's a lot of people, maybe you're one of them, that are feeling really bad about the church these days. And I think COVID is lending itself to people being not sure what to do about participating in, in, uh, in the church anymore. And yet, and I say that very carefully, because we must seriously learn to recognize the wrongs that have been done and to seek reconciliation. And yet, there is so much that is beautiful about a community centered around Jesus that is other-oriented and communally discerning. And there's so many cool things that are happening in this world because of churches that are just learning to continue to move with the Spirit of God and keep in step with the Spirit so that they're producing things like as Paul says in Galatians 5, 22, um, or 5, 23 and 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against those things. So we're being invited to endure patiently in the act of creating beauty. And then he says this, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. Um, this phrase here, just the right time, that's this word that I've brought up numerous times over the last year or two. It's this word kairos. It's, it's a description of time. But unlike the word chronos, where we get our word chronological, kairos is a moment that is pregnant with opportunity. I know. <laughs> that is perfect timing. Pregnant with opportunity. Yes! Yes, it is pregnant with opportunity. And if we can hang in there in, in partnering with Jesus in creating beauty in this world, we are going to see the results. That's for the big C church. And if you, if you just look around the world and listen and read and watch, you will hear story after story of the good things that are happening in the midst of a global pandemic. The way that, that uh, new technology is being developed to help ease um, the afflictions that some countries are experiencing. The way that, that people are stepping up to help those who are less fortunate. Um, there's all kinds of good stories and there's all kinds of bad and you choose what you want to make a steady diet of. In the Kairos moment, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. It's not only a blessing for, for us, but it's a blessing for others. There's this neat thing in the scriptures. The scriptural writers point this out again and again, that when people are aligning themselves with what God is doing in this world, not only does it benefit them, but they become a blessing to others. And so Jesus has invited us as his people, not only to receive the blessing of God, but to actually let that blessing flow. God's love is always flowing. So if you see it as always flowing, it's washing over us, it's, it's within us, it's transforming us, but it's flowing. So it's, we're just like in the stream 
and it's coming around us and then it's, it's going on and, and we can participate in that river of God's love. And there's just an encouragement to hang in there and embrace the opportunity. Everything that Paul has done here is indicative uh, of what Jesus has, uh, everything that Paul has written is indicating for us what Jesus has done. And then he gets to these few places if we go to the next verse. Therefore, you know, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, because of everything Christ has done for us now, whenever we have the opportunity, that's that word kairos again, showing up again, a moment that's pregnant with opportunity. Whenever that's there, we should do good or create beauty for everyone, especially those in the family of faith. So, there's this neat thing, especially that the Apostle Paul does in his writing. There are times when he says, this is what you need to do. But he almost always precedes it with, this is what God has already done for you and accomplished for you. And because God has done this in Christ, now we can be this kind of people. So because God has done these things for us in Christ, in in making it possible to leave that old way of living and enjoy the new life we have in Christ, we can embrace the opportunities before us to create beauty, to do good. And when it's challenging, because it's it maybe we're fearful of what could happen. There's uncertainty about what's coming next. We're tired. We're fatigued. Um, it's one thing to say to an individual, you can do this. But to say it to a, a community, we're going to do this together. That just creates a whole new level of complexity. And yet the opportunity is there. So in the light of all of this, because of Jesus having done all this for us, we can be this way. This whole idea about beginning again is just to recognize the opportunity that we have to begin again. In some ways, you can see it as starting over. In other ways, you can see it as taking what we've been come out of and using that to build into the new. But I want to ask you a question. Wouldn't you like to be part of a church where, and then you finish that sentence? So I want to share a few areas of opportunity for us that, that, are, that are before us that we are either already embracing or we're pondering, and we want to invite your participation in that. Wouldn't you like to be part of a church where people are being helped and healed from a lived experience of anxiety, depression, and addiction? Wouldn't you like to be part of a church where people think that congregation is actually helping people with with another epidemic in in our society? And it's not a virus. It's this lived experience of anxiety and depression that is through the roof. Well, a couple of years ago, we started to explore this. And then, um, and just before, um, I think it was just before COVID, everything's a blur now for me. It was even before COVID, but, but we brought in um, a psychotherapist to train some of our people to lead support groups for people with a lived experience of anxiety and depression. 
And so we did the training and then we were going to start it. And then COVID got really bad and everything got locked down. So we put it on hold. And then this summer we, um, actually, I can't remember. Yeah, this summer we, we ran an online group. And then currently we are running an in-person group um, that is already meeting right now. That people are coming here and they're finding a community that understands what they're going through and someone who's guiding them, facilitating them. We're not fixing people. We are creating an atmosphere for the Spirit of God to use these people to serve one another, help one another, and find hope, find help, find healing. There's a new group starting in November. And so we are going to be running two groups simultaneously. And you can find out more information on the website. But you can also go to youinmind.ca. Y-O-U, like me, like you. Youinmind.ca. And there's all kinds of information in there. Maybe you haven't even been aware that this is happening. We've been talking about it. But it might be something that you want to explore. Maybe there's somebody in your family that you want to make them aware of this. This is being promoted in our community, and we have people from the community who are now um, signing up to be part of it. And we're being very sensitive to how we, how we operate this. We want to help people. We're not going to shove Jesus down anybody's throat, but we will be very open about being people of faith. Two more groups are going to start in January. We want to invite some others to consider being trained as facilitators. We want to encourage you to consider how you might be involved. And so we're looking for next year. Maybe we can do some fundraising. Maybe we can do some more raising awareness. Um, and so we're just going to put that out there for you to be a, a, aware of this. But wouldn't you like to be part of a church where people who are experiencing this are finding hope and healing? and help wouldn't you like to be part of a church that is not only addressing the symptoms of poverty but is actually advocating to work against the causes of it this is this is my this is my musing right now i'm going to muse out loud that churches are great at helping um, people who don't have a house find somewhere to live, helping people who don't have enough food to get some food, helping people who don't have enough clothing to get some clothing. So we're great at addressing the symptoms. We're not so good at advocating to address the causes. Wouldn't you like to be part of a community that becomes a royal pain in the rear end to those powers that are creating the system that keeps people in poverty? I would love to have people PO'd with us as a congregation because we will not accept what's happening. You know how difficult housing is becoming in this region. It's not just here, it's everywhere. I might be wrong, I'm starting to think about this concept of a regional gentrification taking place here. And people that for generations have lived here are not able to continue living here and they're being forced out. If you're not sure what gentrification is, ask somebody, look it up. What if we began advocating for? You know the expression, give someone a fish, you feed them for a day? Teach them to fish and... You feed them for a lifetime. The problem is, 
We're teaching people to fish and they go to fish, but there's a fence around the lake or the pond and they can't get in unless they have the right paperwork and they don't understand the system of, of having to do it. They need somebody to advocate for them. That's maybe where we come in. We're exploring that. Maybe that piques your interest. Wouldn't you like to be part of a church where young people actually find hope for their future? Part of the youandmind.ca is recognizing how many young people are struggling with anxiety and depression. You know, we've got some young people here today. Um, and for them, going to school, it's just, it almost seems pointless anymore. I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get a bunch of debt, and then I'm going to have to figure out how to pay that debt off working at uh, the local restaurant because I can't get a job. And that is how so many of them are seeing things. So what if we were helping them, doing something about that? We're in a community that is growing extensively and we are diversifying. Um, and so wouldn't you like to be part of a church that embraces the diversity in its community and reaches out? Um, not to tell everybody to come and to be like us, but to recognize that Jesus can speak to them and be part of their reality in the way that they are. Wouldn't you want to be part of a church that creates opportunities for people to come together and become more aware of one another's diversity and hear from one another and accept one another in spite of diversity and know that they're loved and then explore together what it means to follow Jesus within our diversity? I sure would. Maybe there's some other areas that you're thinking of that you would say, hey, you know, here's something. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Be careful if you tell me, have you thought about that? Because I'm going to get you to do it. <laughs> but I just think that's appropriate. We do this together. So if you'd like to be part of a church where these things are happening, then perhaps you might consider a few things. Making yourself available for one-off events or for regular, more long-term commitments to what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Maybe you're willing to consider seeking Jesus to release you from some of the things that are keeping you maybe tugged into that old way of living and to fully embrace this new life in Christ. Maybe you might consider life changes so that it frees you up to be more available, to be other-oriented. Here's one very practical thing that you can do today. Um, I'm going to put this up here. If you go to our website, newlifecollingwood.com slash volunteer or scroll down to the bottom and you'll see the word volunteer, click on that. We are beginning again. So we are rebuilding things. We're redoing things. We're making new teams. We're rebuilding existing teams with our children and our youth and with our tech and all these other things. But in these other areas, there's opportunity to really reach out. And this is partly where you can... You can be a fish. You can go to that, you can go to that website and, um, and, and volunteer. Now, I do want to come back to this fish and finish with this little story. How many of you are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? 
It's a great children's book that every adult needs to read. And there's a series of them. One of the books is Prince Caspian. And in Prince Caspian, there's four children that have been called back into this world that they had been before called Narnia. And they're invited to help Prince Caspian reattain the throne, which is rightfully his. And as the children have aged, as they've gotten used to the way things were, they find it harder to see Aslan. And Aslan is a typology of Christ. They find it harder to see Aslan... um, for real. It's just kind of like he's there, but he's not. And it's becoming increasingly difficult. And, and one of them, Susan in particularly, is having a hard time leaving what she thinks is good for something better. And Aslan does appear, and she's finally able to see him with the help of her sister. And Aslan says to Susan, you have listened to fears, child. Come, let me breathe on you. Forget them. Are you brave again now? In John chapter 20, Jesus came and he stood among his disciples after his resurrection. And he invited them to embrace the opportunity that was there. And he appeared among them and he said, peace be with you in these troubling times. And he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And I think that's a good word for us today. Let's pray. In Psalm 34, the psalmist wrote, Taste and see that the Lord is good. When we think about the opportunities before us, we might be driven by by fear or obligation, Lord. Invite us back again to your table to sit with you, to eat with you, to receive from you to be released from holding on to what we think is good, that you might unleash us to launching into what is even better. May we be a community that is fiercely centered on you, Jesus, other-oriented, communally discerning, and embracing the opportunity that sits before us right now. Amen.